Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability, young and old, to attain prosperity and personal happiness. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Liberty Chats, a podcast from the Steamboat Institute. My name is Carl Honiger, and I'm a member of the Emerging Leaders Council, a leadership program out of the Institute. I'm excited to be here today. My guest is Yale Ososki, a journalist, writer, consumer advocate, radio host, podcaster, based in Vienna, Austria, and also out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, very excited to have you today, uh, especially in terms of um, a topic that I think is pretty important to a lot of our uh, younger listeners. A lot of millennials have really um, been exposed to vaping, to e-cigarettes, um, and it's really a technology that I think has a lot of potential um, but at the same time, when it comes to all the people who are making policies in the United States, it's very much of a old-fashioned mindset. Um, it's a mindset that doesn't want to accept new technology, doesn't want to explore the costs, benefit analysis. And when I read an article recently about how the UN is tackling this, uh, I just wanted to explore more of what you found um, what you see coming down the pipeline, because I know that really uh, the UN may discuss something and we often see it 10 years down the road here in the United States, or at least in our progressive cities, like we see it two years down the road. Um, so could you kind of describe more um, the framework convention on tobacco control and what they discussed in their most recent meeting? Absolutely. So thank you so much for having me on, Carl. The best thing to to kind of to start with is that we have this entirely new category of harm reducing alternatives to normal tobacco and cigarettes. So we have yeah. vaping devices, e-cigarettes, as they're normally called. Uh, in Sweden, we have something called snus. We now have nicotine pouches that are also all over the market in the U.S. And all of these products have derived from the market. They've come because private entrepreneurs came together, had the idea to create a new product that people could use that would be less harmful. And what we see is that these entrepreneurs have been very successful. They've been able to push this in many different areas. And at the same time, international health bureaucrats, uh, many of those who are in the anti-smoking, anti-tobacco lobbies, have been trying to get smoking rates down forever with all kinds of policies yeah. and bans and taxes and restrictions they haven't been able to do it here comes the market the market provides these alternatives and we see in places like sweden in the united kingdom in new zealand and canada wherever there's a policy of harm reduction that endorses the use of these alternative products smoking rates go to the floor and i think that's just the important beginning of all of this whole story. So for the framework convention on tobacco control, talk about alphabet soup, 
really strange organization. So this is a, a convention, a treaty that was signed at the World Health Organization, so part of the UN apparatus, as it were. Okay. And this organization meets basically one, every one or two years. They come together as what's known as, as a conference of the parties. So everyone knows COP26, that was the climate change conference in Glasgow. At the same time, you had COP9, uh, the sec- the ninth conference of the parties for FCTC in Geneva. And what do they do there? Essentially, they come together and try to create the global rules for what tobacco control should look like. The number one problem with all of this, and I don't think anyone has a problem with tobacco control generally, is that yeah. they lump in all these new alternative products directly in that treaty. They have no nuance. There's absolutely no definitional changes. And they treat an e-cigarette, a vape device, a snooze, whatever, just like a cigarette, which as we know from science is just not correct. So I've been to yeah. two of these events. I've, I've gone there and reported on it. I was at one in India and another one in Geneva. And it is just a, a terrible affair of the international health bureaucrats getting together. Um, essentially, you're not allowed to have anyone who's critical in attendance. It's, uh, it's, it's a very crazy place to be. Doesn't get much coverage. I'm glad I get to talk about it here. But uh, thankfully, the United States is not a party to this convention. However, they are observers. They are observers, and they do basically follow a lot of the tenets of the people who um, like to fund this, uh, a lot of the larger foundations and uh, American billionaires that I'm sure we can talk about later. Yeah, I know that um, the discussion is really interesting that we see in the United States. It's very similar to what's being discussed with the U.N., in terms of they use the word tobacco, but don't talk about how the technologies are using the tobacco byproduct of nicotine. So when you have nicotine in the form of, like you're talking about snus or um, e-cigarettes, basically you have just the nicotine is taken out of the tobacco. It's then um, put in with other chemicals that allow it to um, create that vape Um, effect and then also add flavor and so basically it provides the nicotine that your brain is designed to have nicotine receptors Um, because nicotine is found in in nature not just in tobacco but like even tomatoes um, contain a small amount of it Um, and so that confusion of thinking about the tobacco as in you're burning a leaf with just the product of nicotine seems to be like this whole foundational problem in these discussions is that kind of how they try to treat everything one size fits all they definitely do treat it one size fits all and and actually the the most entrepreneurial and innovative thing of the last decade is that many of these devices and newer liquids don't even use tobacco derived nicotine it's actually a synthetic nicotine they've been able to create so it doesn't even touch tobacco at all However, because it's connected or called e-cigarettes or, you know, it's just seen in the same category. And I think that's where they go wrong. And what we've seen is, you know, in the United States, we have a particular sort of we we have a different way of looking at it because we've had, you know, these these master settlement agreements of the tobacco industry and these large lawsuits throughout the 1990s, which were very important. But it's meant that. Basically, we have all of these states that are reliant upon funding from tobacco taxes. And as people have begun to smoke much less, they've had to look for that revenue elsewhere. And that means they're having to get it from vaping products, from e-cigarettes, and from all these different alternative categories. But, you know, the... 
there have even been studies. We've done a few ourselves. We put out polls as the Consumer Choice Center uh, that really just ask doctors their thoughts on nicotine. And actually, there's a lot of misinformation on nicotine itself. Uh, there's, you know, this assumption that nicotine is somehow carcinogenic or it's nicotine that causes all of the yeah. problems, which is just absolutely untrue. It's unfortunate that the public health lobbies have, have tried to inject this into the public conversation for so long because it meant that realistically what we're talking about is people quitting and people getting away from traditional tobacco. People have an alternative, but if they're being told that what they're about to ingest or start using is just as dangerous or will also have carcinogenic yeah. effects, that's going to dissuade them. And it means they're just going to stick with their own normal cigarette because they know that they've used that and that's it. And they're not going to be open to trying something new. And that's really who, who we have to think about at the end of the day, because it's the person who has been, you know, smoking a pack a day for 25 years, you know, sees some kind of e-cigarette or vape device, you know, at the gas station. Why are they going to try to switch and quit if they're being told all the time it's just as bad as a cigarette? Yeah. And then, of course, taxes are put in place. I see that here in Colorado is they very recently had a bill that was actually um, lobbied for buy cigarette companies, high-end um, cigarette companies. And what they did was they said, well, we'll fund preschool through taxes on these new nicotine products um, and also on taxes on lower cost um, cigarettes. So um, you, you can see kind of the why they would support that, right? Why these cigarette companies would <laughs> want to tax e-cigarettes. and um, But one of the most interesting documentaries I've seen recently is the you don't know nicotine and like you're discussing when it comes to terms of doctors it went and talked to doctors um, in this documentary who have done significant research on specifically nicotine outside of the whole tobacco smoking mindset but really just focus on the, the effects on the brain and that was just shocking to me how um, and you, you can watch this documentary on, I think it's Watch Ibex, I-B-E-X, um, for free. It's like a 10-day free trial. Um, and that was very interesting to me how it talked about it's not nicotine that's carcinogenic. Yes, it's addictive. And so, no, it's not suggested for young people with developing brains. But when it comes to um, the dangers of nicotine, it's not the same as the dangers of having your lungs impacted by, you know, a pack a day smoking cigarettes. Absolutely. And, you know, and this is, again, uh, something that's derived from the market. Uh, you know, Juul is sort of the, in our imagination, the, the latest uh, up-and-comers in this area. And these are just a couple of guys in San Francisco, former smokers, engineers. They came together. They said, what do we got to do to quit smoking? Let's come up with something where we can get that nicotine. We can get sort of the same feel. We can hold something in our hand. And they created the Juul device. And, you know, basically they've been just slammed by the regulatory forces uh, that are out there that are ready and willing to go after many of these people who, who create this. I think most people don't know that, you know, the majority of the vaping market is not, you know, the big brands uh, that happen to be in gas stations. Most of the time, it's actually all of these Chinese made devices and these hobbyists who own vape stores and are entrepreneurs and are very passionate ex-smokers. 
And you definitely see that online. Yes. You see that with a lot of conferences and meetings. Uh, you know, people are not just fighting uh, to try to protect vaping just because, you know, they're ganging some big buck. A lot of them, it's actually saved their lives. It's meant that they're going to be able to live to see their grandchildren or perhaps great-grandchildren. It means that they, in their lifetime, have been able to make a conscious health decision. And that's thanks to the market and everything it's provided. And, you know, the one reason why... It's hard to focus on the World Health Organization, FCTC, and all of that. But I think with what we saw with the pandemic, it just showed that there are so many problems with these large international health institutions because essentially there's no constituency of watchdog necessarily. You know, when we have the U.S. government, we've got reporters, we've got the New York Times, the Washington Post, whatever it might be. But when it comes to these U.N. organizations, you know, they're usually headquartered somewhere in Geneva or, uh, you know, somewhere throughout the European Union. Uh, They're getting, you know, a lot of money and attention and everybody spends a lot of money to get there. And there's really no press that's reporting on it. There's really not much criticism because a lot of NGOs want to be in the room. And this is why it's been so problematic. And that's why our group, we called for a defunding of the World Health Organization years ago. You know, I got that. I scooped that domain up, you know, back in uh, 2015, (laughs) because I said, you know, if we see the errors that they're making when it comes to harm reduction, what I mean, what else are they're supposed to be focusing on pandemics and epidemics and public health instead They've focused, and this is due to an influx of money from various billionaires and philanthropists, including Michael Bloomberg, they've turned the focus to non-communicable diseases. So when you saw in New York City, Michael Bloomberg, you know, pass this ban on big gulps and raising taxes on cigarette products through the roof. He was operating from his, his sort of mentality, and it is very much a kind of nanny statism that we see. Well, he is the largest benefactor to the World Health Organization every year, and he's offered you know up to $800 million around the world to stop essentially any sort of legislation in any country that would be preferable or preferential to harm-reducing alternatives like vaping. And that's a thing to where we would think it would be a scandal because it would be in our country. If in the United States, there was a Chinese billionaire raising money to sway public policy on a certain way. I mean, that's the, I think that's like season three of house of cards. It would be a scandal. (laughs) It would overturn everything, but we have an American who's doing the same around the world. And because it's in line with international public health, no one bats an eye. And I think that's, that's the most problematic aspect of this. There's a lot of money that's thrown into this the other way. And, the whole point of this fight is to fight for people who want a choice, who want to be able yeah. to switch away from using tobacco. Shouldn't we just offer them that? I think that's the essential question. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is really um, what we saw years ago with this crackdown on individual choice when it comes to how you're going to receive nicotine. Um, you know, you're talking about non-cunical diseases, um, whether or not you want to drink soda, buy a soda at the gas station. Um, That progressive mindset of, we don't want you to have individual choices, just played out over the last year and a half when it comes to, okay, you know, teachers can get vaccinated. So now they're gonna go back into school, but now you don't have as a parent a choice whether or not your kid gets to wear a mask or not, or, whether or not your kid has to be sent home um, because they're, you know, quote unquote exposed or um, 
whether or not it's remote this week or that week. Like, so I think what you're saying is that that same mindset that we saw so many years ago when you were talking about defund the uh, World Health Organization, it's just played out. And we, we see that it's even more relevant today to defund them. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, you know, there are other examples. They, they put, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into initiatives to stop video game addiction, uh, particularly in, in parts of Japan and South Korea. And, you know, they labeled this an epidemic, you know, the video game addiction epidemic. Meanwhile, at the same time, and the same time that, you know, you had all of the FCTC cops and they're talking about e-cigarettes, we had Ebola that popped up in Africa. Many people don't remember this. This is around 2012. This is when, uh, near when okay. Obama was president. And what you had at that point is the World Health Organization was super late to the game. They didn't detect it right away on the ground. They didn't send in their people. And then what did we get in 2020 in Wuhan, China? It was exactly the same deal. They just trusted what the Chinese authorities said. They didn't get in there for months to actually go and investigate. We still don't know today the actual origin of what happened with COVID-19. And again, these are, are just the facts, but this is the International Health Organization, you know, the biggest uh, health progenitor, you know, overall daddy in the world that's supposed to look over us, and they've failed. And I think it's failed because of captured interest, because of the money, because of essentially so many of the projects that are involved with this have to do with just getting money to various countries. So many countries are ready and willing okay. to go to these large tobacco conferences. Uh, an example is the Republic of Georgia. You know, small country, there's only two or three million people uh, in the Caucasus. But this is a place that, you know, was thinking about changing some of its uh, tobacco laws, increasing taxes. They're trying to limit uh, access to e-cigarettes and vaping. Well, right away, they got a grant of $20 million from the FCTC to not do uh, <laughs> to, to actually go further than they would have. And again, this is not well played up in American media because we don't care about international institutions. The conservative mindset has been for the last 60 years that we should be out of these anyway, or at least um, keep them as far away from U.S. domestic law. But this stuff matters and it impacts and it has spillover effects. And, you know, yeah. all we have to do is look at the California effect in our country. Look at what happens there whether it's Prop 65 on anything related to chemicals and things you know, that might cause cancer, according to the state of California, that spillover effect impacts individuals, it impacts industry, and it impacts your consumer choice. And that's why there has to be a lot more emphasis put on what's happening in these institutions, not because we just have to go there as a delegate and vote things down, but just to say that they're not focusing on the right problems. They should be focusing on pandemics, on epidemics, on you know places where you're going to have diseases and outbreaks, not necessarily the choice of how you as an individual consumer are going to stop smoking because their answer doesn't work anyway. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Can you explain uh, as we're wrapping up a little bit more about what the Consumer Choice Center does, what your role is there uh, with your podcast. Sure. So uh, we started Consumer Choice Center in 2017. At the time, we had a large Uber protest. If everybody remembers that, the taxi drivers okay. were out in force. And some of our colleagues got together, went down to Berlin. Uh, they were there right in the middle of the strike and held up signs. The taxi monopoly is so yesterday. You know, consumers want choice. And the next day, it was in all the major German newspapers. 
And that's where some of us got around and said, hey, this actually works. There's no constituency for consumers who like innovative technologies, who like smart policy, who like all these amazing apps, and who actually want smart laws on this stuff. So that's essentially how it all started. A few of us came together. Uh, some of us, my own background was as a journalist. Others are healthcare economists or others you know, came from politics. And we just created our own organization focused on consumer choice. And we started with ride sharing and, and everything with the sharing economy. And now we focus on harm reduction, digital policies, antitrust, uh, everything related to innovation in the healthcare sector. Um, obviously, everything that's happening with cannabis legalization, which I think uh, particularly for our generation is something that is very important. And there's just so many laws that are passed in the name of you as a consumer, but that don't necessarily actually you know, fall in line with your interests. Uh, because if you look at what's happening with you know all the laws related to net neutrality, when it's looking to uh, centralization of power, so many of these you know regulations, whether it be on alcohol, whether it be on vaping, there's just so much of this that's done in the name of the consumer, and often it is done by consumer groups that are protectionist or who might come from more left wing circles. Uh, but we actually believe in consumer choice. That's how we started it. I'm a deputy director. Uh, we've been keeping on for a while. Our team is much bigger now. Uh, we're very present staff members in about 10 countries right now and active uh, probably in a place near you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I know that one question I'd like to ask people is, what's the most recent thing you're involved in? Whether it's just, uh, you know, what's a good book that you've been reading lately? Um, what should we look forward to? Oh, this is good. Uh, so a good book I've been reading lately. Well, I'm a big uh, crypto buff uh, Bitcoiner. I've been running my own lightning node uh, here for the last couple of months. Cool. Uh, so I've been getting into a lot of the good stuff there. I'm, I'm getting into 21 Lessons. Um, on Bitcoin, falling down the rabbit hole. It's by uh, okay. Gigi, who's uh, a, a German Bitcoiner. So uh, I'm I'm big into this world. I think it is something that is providing awesome. so many individuals with new levels of freedom. Uh, so I'm reading that. And uh, if you guys have a Lightning node and want to connect, just let me know. You could follow me everywhere. Uh, but that kind of stuff is really interesting. And again, this is innovation that's coming out of the marketplace giving a tool to consumers. And it's something I'm excited about. It's something that we lobby on uh, really on behalf of, of good market principles. Great. Well, thank you so much, Yell. I appreciate your time today and uh, look forward to following you. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's Liberty Chat. I'm Erica Anderson, the producer of the podcast. Our podcast editor is Fingers Malloy. My co-producers include Charlotte Whalen, Zachary Rogers, Lindsay Martin, and Christina Eastman, all members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council, who represent the next generation of free market, free speech leadership. We hope you tune in again for our next Liberty Chat episode. Wanna be free, I wanna be, wanna be free, yeah.